Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. And here's Pastor Ben to introduce today's message. Welcome back to our series titled The Lion Revealed, a study of the book of Revelation. Today we begin in chapter 2 with the church revealed as we look at seven churches in Asia Minor in various stages of health. A couple which were vibrant and on fire for Christ and several that were in various stages of serious decline. While these actual churches were in ministry at the time of this first century letter, I believe we see examples of them today across America and the world. Two of them stand out as shining examples of how Jesus wants the church to function in their communities. And I'll let you in on a secret. We want to be the churches like Smyrna and Philadelphia. The church I pastor in Eagle, Idaho, Restored Community Church, strives to be a blend of both of these ministries as we equip believers to both grow and go. Grow in our own wisdom and knowledge of God's Word and go into the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're in a church like that, keep attending faithfully. Encourage your pastor and others and serve your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're not in a church that faithfully teaches the word and makes the sharing of the gospel a priority, leave and go find a church that is being faithful to carry out its calling. Now let's continue in our study, The Lion Revealed. Turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. We're in Revelation chapter 2 this week. I'm told that one of the most difficult and important things and aspects in moving is to find uh, a church, another church. Perhaps you came here from that big state to the southwest (laughs) or another state. And, uh, and you know what I'm talking about. Now, I've only been told about this because, to be honest with you, I've only been in two churches in my life. Um, one, I grew up at, uh, at a church where, uh, when I was a little, well, when I was born, it was Tim LaHaye all the way until I was 21. And then at 21, some guy named David Jeremiah came over, and, and uh, he, did, he did okay there too. <clears throat> so I've only had really two pastors in my life. This is only my second church, and when we came here, we planted it. But I'm told from other people that it is difficult, and I can understand that, to find a solid church. And I can give you some important qualifications, like it must teach the Word of God both accurately and unapologetically. Uh, Number two, it must provide life applications you can live out when you leave this room. And number three, it must aid in the opportunities of growing in wisdom growing in service, and learning to share your faith with others. But finding a church like that with the warmth and genuine love that God calls believers to exhibit as Christ followers, well, that's easier said than done. Who is the only one qualified to give those standards and qualifications of a God-honoring congregation? Well, of course, it's Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. Last week, we were introduced to the author of the letter, the ones to whom it is dedicated, the reason for it, and we were briefly given the names of the churches to whom it was addressed, 
the readers, the listeners, if you will. Allow me to caution you, however, there is a tendency to listen to this letter as if it only addresses someone else. It's like bringing your spouse to church uh, on that Sunday, you know the pastor's going to talk about their weakness. And right before he gets up there, you bump him and say, listen up. Well, you know what? The message is to every believer. It's to the church, but who is the church? Well, that's you and me. I'm looking into the eyes and, and the faces of the, of the church. The church is made up of the body of believers, so this letter is a tutor to, uh, of how we can live lives to both honor and glorify our Heavenly Father and His Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So as we begin Jesus' address here to John, and, and from John to us, He wrote, um, and His summary of each of these churches, we need to be mindful of the words to speak to us, allow them to speak to us individually as well. Another mistake that readers make is to view this letter as a condemnation and final judgment of these churches rather than an encouraging admonishment and redirection to get them back on track for those churches that have strayed, and we will see some of these. Remember, though, that the author is John the Apostle. He has a loving pastor's heart, and so he's going to speak to these churches. You're going to see love in this correction. Most of you know that uh, one of the mottos of our church, in fact, it's the primary motto of this church, uh, is this, we only want what God wants. You're going to hear me say that all the time. I mean, if you're new, that's new to you. If you're here, you've heard that, you know, probably three dozen times just in the last year. We only want what God wants. I'm too old for cul-de-sacs or good ideas. You know, I just want to follow God all the way to heaven now. Whatever He wants, that's what I want. Wherever He wants us to work, that's where I want to work. Wherever He wants us to invest our time and money and everything else, our service, that's where I want to go. So the time has come to live out our faith. And if we have not been doing that, the time is now. The end is near. The time is short. So let's begin as we see the church revealed. The series is called The Lion Revealed. The message today is called The Church Revealed. As we go through each of these seven churches, we'll see Jesus' commendations first. He always commends the church. And then he goes to the condemnations to tell them, hey, this is where you've gone astray. And then number three, he always has a correction for them to help them get back. And we would be wise to read and understand and take heart to each and every one of them as they apply to our lives and take pause for reflection and or correction as the case may be. Church number one is Ephesus. I call it the casual church. First we hear the commendations from Christ to this church. The commendations from Christ. Chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars. What are the seven stars? Well, these are the seven angels of the seven churches. We learned that last week. He says this to the seven stars, the seven angels. 
who holds the seven angels in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Those are the seven churches. Those are the light of the seven churches, the seven lights of the seven churches. I know your works, your labor, your patience or perseverance, and that you cannot bear or endure those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, And have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. The church of Ephesus was a busy congregation who were serving God. They likely had Bible studies and discipleship classes and all kinds of things going on during the week along with their Sunday worship. They were faithful and and, and serving. And the word labored here literally means in the Greek to work unto exhaustion. They were working hard. They worked hard to stay the course. Another definition for the word perseverance. They were trying to stay the course when all around them persecution was raining down. The Lord commended them for being a church filled with spiritual discernment who wisely separated out the wolves and the false teachers that were coming in from among them. Paul had warned all the churches, listen, he said, when I leave, the wolves are going to come in behind me. They follow me. And as soon as I leave one church, they go into it and they bring false doctrine. Look out. Heed the messages that I've given you. Heed the letters that have been given you, written through the Holy Spirit to you. Heed that. Don't listen to these false prophets. Listen, Satan is always looking for a way inside a church in order that he might sow lies and division among the Christ followers there. Satan is always a divider. He comes in to divide. If he can get a foot between in, in the door, and, and if, he can, if he can start to sow a lie in between you and I, he's won. Listen, he knows this. He knows that if you're a Christ follower, he can't change your eternal destiny. He can't do it. He knows that. Here's what he can do, though. He can get you and I fighting so that we can't go out and do what he's told us to do. If you and I are at odds, well, look out. Don't let our tongues or our actions tear at what God is doing here and in our community. Coming together around God's Word and in prayer will unite us rather than divide us. From the outside of this church, Ephesus looked almost perfect. However, Jesus sees into the heart of mankind and He had the following condemnations. Let's pick up in verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Ouch. Notice the word left. They left their first love. They didn't lose their first love. Losing something implies the unintended act of the will. I lost my job due to the company's downsizing rather than, I left my job because I was looking for a better one. The church of Ephesus had left their first love, Jesus Christ, due to their exhaustive acts of service 
and work. Their labor replaced their love as they slowly drifted away from the Lord. That's not hard to find churches like that today. They're so busy in activities. They're so busy in doing uh, things out into the community. And those are good and those are needed, but not to the expense of the love that they should have for Jesus Christ. They oftentimes leave Him when they go out into the public world to, to serve. Sometimes you can't even tell them between a secular organization because there's no sign of Jesus anywhere in their service. Jesus said, you've left your first love. Me. You left me behind. You're serving, but you've left me at home. It's critical that our, our labor comes from the overflow of our love for our Savior and what He's done for us. And not the love of activity itself, as good as it might be. We can get so caught up in the busyness that we do, in, in, in it's a detriment, really, of the great things that God's called us to steward. Someone said, busyness isn't of the devil, it is the devil. If Satan can get us so busy, sidetracked onto other things, that we stop sharing Christ, that we start, stop growing ourselves, then he wins. That's a win for him. As I said, he can't, he can't change your eternal address, but he can change your temporary influence. <clears throat> The word first love here has the connotation of a newlywed's love for one another. A love that is still vibrant and fresh. They used to have that. Newlyweds view life largely through the lenses of their committed love to one another. Yes, hopefully as, as they mature and they, and they deepen uh, their relationship, that love grows along with it. But there needs to be an air of freshness and renewal an appreciation for one another, or the marriage relationship is headed for trouble. And the same is true. We are the bride of Christ. Amen? We ought to wake up in the morning and remind ourselves of what Jesus has done for us and who He is. <clears throat> These believers had allowed the love of their labor to replace their love for the Lord. Well, we've seen the commendations from Christ and the condemnation from Christ. And now let's look at the corrections from Christ. One of the wonderful things about the Word of God that you'll find over and over is that it is a compass to show us what direction we should be going. We don't take the Word of God and try to bend it to where we're going. No, we, we adjust ourselves and we move to wherever that needle's headed. And one of the wonderful things is that it will show us when we get off track and how to get back on track. God just doesn't con condemn us and go, you're messed up. He, he shows us how to get back to where we need to be in our walk with Him and in right relationship with our Father. Here it is, verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. In order for us to be correct and in fellowship with God, in order for us to maintain or regain that first love that we had for Him uh, as, as our Savior, there are three corrections that I just read. Remember, 
repent and repeat. Now, I'll show you the word repeat later on. It's kind of a hidden. Remember, repent, and repeat. Let's look at remember first. Number one is remember. The Greek word for remember is in the present tense, but with continuous action. So it literally means remember and keep on remembering. Remember isn't just for today. It's a repeated, ongoing action. Remember, but keep on remembering. Example, the prodigal son who left his father and went to a far-out land. Far-out? No, he went to a far-off land. I'm confusing the 1960s with the AD 60s. The land wasn't far out. It was far off, yeah. So he went to the far off land. And you remember the story probably. He wakes up one day and he's in a pig pen. That's about as low as you can get for a Hebrew boy. To be, <laughs> to be in a pig pen is just unspeakable uh, to them. And he has nothing. He's at the lowest part of his life. What happens? Well, let's read this. But when he came to himself, or remembered, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? He was starving to death. And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father... I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Three corrections we need to make. Remember, you just saw that in the story, and repent. Let's read on in that story, the prodigal son. The meaning for repent is to turn around or to change one's mind about something. It is to believe one way, but now realize that's mistaken, and to believe in a different way. See if you can hear the definition here. Once all he wanted to do was go party with his friends. You remember he, he requested his inheritance, which was outrageous to even ask his father for his inheritance. In effect, he was saying, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance, so give it now. He took it. The father loves him so much, he allowed him to choose and to go his own way, and he did. He spent all of it in raucous living. When it was all spent, he has nothing. Here's the story. He remembered how good he had it at home, and now he was sorry for what he had done. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. And he ran, and he fell on his neck, and he kissed him. You know what I see here? That word far way off is the distant horizon. The Father is always looking for the one that leaves. If you've left Jesus Christ, if you've left your relationship with God, let me tell you, His eyes are on the horizon. He's waiting for you to come back. Not to judge you, not to spank you. What happens here? The Father is looking. He's just waiting for even one lamb to come home, right? I was that lamb. I'm sure glad He was looking for me. He didn't judge me. He threw His arms open. (laughs) He welcomed me back. He will welcome you back. 
He fell on his neck and he kissed him. These are all actions of the Father, not the Son. And the Son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your Son. That's repentance. Here's what the Father did. But the Father said to his, his, his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. This was a signet ring. When you have the Father's ring, you can do the Father's business. The Father restores him completely at that moment. You're my son. You're not my servant. He put sandals on his feet. He was walking barefoot. Bring the fatted calf here. They're going to celebrate. Kill it. Let's eat it and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to make merry. Isn't that great? See, when you repent, you come back to Christ. Or you repent and you come to Christ for the first time. There's a celebration not only here, but there's a celebration in heaven, we're told. The angels celebrate. Listen, you were created with a God-shaped vacuum, a hole in your heart that nothing else will ever replace. Nothing can, can fill that hole that the world offers. Not alcohol, not drugs, not an illicit relationship, not anything down here on earth, not success, not money. Nothing will fill that only God and His love can give you everything you're looking for. Listen, when we forget our first love, the, the first act towards being restored is to remember God's love and grace for us and His mercy that is new every morning. And then we're to repent, change our mind and our direction and to head home as quickly as we can. When you remember the goodness of God and you repent, get home. Come home. Three corrections we need to make. Number one, remember. Number two, repent. And number three, repeat. You say that word, I don't see that word here. Well, I see it in the Greek. Verse 5, remember, that's our first one, therefore from where you have fallen, repent, that's our second one, and do. Now this word do is also in the present tense with continuous action. So do it now and keep on doing it. Do it over and over. Repeat it every day, every hour. Do it over and over and over. The first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I will take your influence from you unless you repent. Jesus now closes with some encouragement here. Verse 6, But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate, the Lord says. Now, the Nicolaitans were a sect of false teachers and believers that practiced sexual immorality and other physical sins. They sent out teachers into the churches. As I said, Paul would leave and they would come in. And they'd say, no, it's okay. Actual sexual immorality is okay because it's just a sin against flesh and the flesh is nothing. You just don't want to sin against the soul. But they're tied together. 
clearly that's, that goes against Scripture. And Jesus hates that teaching, he says. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of paradise, the paradise of God. Sadly, today, the church of Ephesus, who was once a bright star, a bright light in that region, became a dark pile of rubble and dirt now. People often ask me how they can get right with the Lord, how they can know where they're going after this life. And I can tell you this, no matter what you've done in your life in the past, God is a God of grace and he forgives everything and anything. You cannot out his grace. His grace is free to anybody that will believe and receive it. And I want to invite you that today, that if you haven't claimed that grace, that you would do it now and make it yours. And if you're in the Treasure Valley area and you don't already have a Bible teaching church, I want to invite you to come to Restored Community Church and get involved. We love the Word of God, we love serving, and we love reaching this world with the gospel. God bless. Have a great week. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.